We're going to be in the book of Joshua this morning. Uh, we're going to read one small text, but I'm actually going to cover uh, two or three chapters of that to kind of give the, the full, uh, full basis. But uh, this is probably one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, not, I'm, I know I'm strange, maybe, but I love the end of the year. I love to look back and kind of see in memory some of the things that God has done. And in our home for the past, oh, I don't know, 20 years, I, I got a slow start. The first few years, I, I missed out on it. But for the last at least 20 years or so, Kathy and I, uh, on January 1st, it's an annual tradition, we will uh, get the kids occupied and we will sit down with a nice, hot, usually a pot of coffee because we're there for a while, and we will dream of the coming year. Uh, it's my time, being financial guy that I am, I look back and I like to compare my net worth from the end of the previous year to the end of this coming year to kind of measure myself. How have I done? Did I save the way I was supposed to save and do all things? And then we sit down and project out for the coming year what some things we want to accomplish financially, things we want to accomplish with the family, some things that we want to work on with the kids and, and pour into. So it's just kind of a, a developed into a really special time of year, a special day, January 1, we sit down and we intentionally think through the, the following year. So I love this time of year. I also enjoy watching the videos or watching the news where they will kind of uh, give a forecast of some things that happen. So uh, just as an example, um, this year, past 2023, uh, Buzz Aldrin, second man to set foot on the moon, actually married at, nine, at 93 years of age, got married on his birthday, January the 20th. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> February the 6th. Now, I left out some of the most, you know, political types of things, but so just, just a few things. Uh, February 6th, Turkey and Syria were struck with a catastrophic 7.8 magnitude earthquake, killed 59,259 people. March the 9th, the U.S. Rec record industry reported that for the first time since 1987, sales of vinyl records exceeded CDs. Caleb enjoyed that. He's had me into Walmart a lot the last couple years looking at vinyls. He's got to have vinyls. So uh, June 18th, uh, some of you I'm sure remember this, Father's Day, Ocean Gates, Titan, Submersible, imploded during an expedition down to the Titanic. October the 8th, Israel formally declared war on Hamas. And on December the 6th, I know everybody was excited about this, Taylor Swift was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. So uh, anyway, so it's always good to, as Pastor reminded us, to look back just to see what uh, the Lord has done over the last year. But it's also very important for the church. And we kind of have such a... Uh, passage here this morning. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, we read these words. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God 
forevermore. Let's pray real quick. Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, these next few moments as we look at it, we ask that you would, as Rhonda had mentioned, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, and help us to receive what you might have for us individually and corporately this morning. To your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. So here at the end of chapter 4, um, Joshua, or the Lord says to Joshua, and Joshua says to his, to his people as he recorded it, that the Lord had done, uh, done this great uh, thing, and he wants us to remember that. Um, the story actually obviously starts a little bit later with them getting ready. You know, they were at this place once before in their life, and then if you remember, we had the spies go out, and 10 of them came back and said, ah, we just can't do it. And then so they spent the next 40 years in the desert. They've come full circle, and now they're back here at the Jordan River before. In chapter 3, as we read here, and starting in verse 7, we kind of get an idea as to why the Lord is doing what he's doing. And forgive me, I forgot my, uh, my glasses this morning, and this print is kind of small. But in verse 7, it says, The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. So God is telling Joshua, I'm getting ready to do a great work. And because of this work and what the people are getting ready to see and experience, there's going to be no doubt in their mind that my hand is upon you and that you are a great leader. And God did this by, in fact, parting the waters very similar to what he did with Moses. And just as God showed the people of Israel that I was with Moses, so now too I am with Joshua. Now, it's, he did it a little differently this time, didn't he? If you remember, if you go back to the Red Sea, I mean, God is a God of creativity. And God is a God, he can do all things, and he can do the same thing in a multiple a variety of different ways. And so he did it a little bit differently with Joshua. And so back in, starting in verse 14, it says that God told the people to, let's just pretend this morning that this here is the Jordan River. And he wanted his heart, oh man, that water's cold this morning. Woo! Uh, he wanted the ark to uh, people to carry the ark to go out and step into the water. Now, remember at the Red Sea, the water parted first, and then the people walked over on dry ground. This time, as an act of faith, they had to step out into the water first. Now, there was something interesting going on with the Jordan at that time. The Bible tells us in verses uh, 14 through the end of the chapter that the, uh, uh, the water was at flood stage. So I remember when I was baptized back in 1993, um, it was a Saturday, I just don't know why, but I felt the Lord impressed upon me. I needed to get baptized, and I wanted to get baptized that day. And we lived in a small community. The pastor was about a half mile down the road. I just walked down there, and I said, Brother Don, I need to get baptized. I want to do it right now. And uh, about that time, my parents had, were coming down the road, so we grabbed my mom and dad, and we headed to the river, Dr. John. And uh, we didn't have horse trough. We weren't that fancy. <laughs> so we headed down to the river, and as we were driving to the river, I said, a small little town and community. We lived on a dead-end road. We met some other family members. They were coming home from town. Everybody just turned their car around, and we all headed down to the river. Well, I didn't realize that White River was at flood stage. 
son, Daniel, pretty skinny, maybe 135 pounds, sopping wet when I got married. I was so thankful that Brother Donnie was a great big old guy, about six foot three and probably 275. He had no problem hanging on to me, but when he put me in that water, I boy, it was swift because it was flood straight. It probably wasn't the smartest way to, to get baptized nonetheless. But so here the water was at flood stage. And he tells the people carrying the ark to walk out into the water. As they walk out into the water, some miles upstream, God dams up the water. And so as the children of Israel step out into the water, God blocks the water there. But, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for that water to flee down. But slowly but surely, the water began to well flood stage. So let's assume, how, I don't know how, how deep they walked out, but slowly but surely, the water began to to go down and sure enough the land was dry and the people walked across on dry land while they were walking across on dry land joshua told 12 elders one from each tribe to pick up a stone and when they got to the other side and that night when they camped they set up a pillar and they did all of this grabbing these stones and setting them up. They did all of this so that Joshua tells us, so that when your children and your children's children ask, hey, what is that pile of stones? You will tell them this is a day that God moved and worked on behalf of Israel. And you will have that marker. And so that's kind of what I want to chat with you a little bit about this morning. Those markers, those times in our lives. Now, in light of my mother-in-law's passing a couple of weeks ago, as a family, we've been spending a lot of time remembering. Kathy and I will remember conversations with her mom. Our kids will bring something up, uh, something up to us, and we'll, we'll chat about that. And it was really uh, special listening to the kids, if those that attended the, the sermon or uh, the memorial service. It was just a real special time when the, the two oldest grandchildren got up and shared just a memory from each of the kids. As you know, it took a while. There was 35. <laughs> but it was great. And I appreciate my sister-in-law, uh, Megan, suggesting that. And it was a real time of comfort and a time of healing for the family. And then that's what memories, memories do for us. Kathy and I were talking and laughing the other day when, uh, when her mom called me uh, because she heard through Pastor Theo that we were having a biker's rally here at Brown's Chapel. Uh, we, we forgot to use the word bicyclist and we used bikers and she was concerned about 800 plus bikers being here at, at Brown's Chapel and we laughed and we laughed. I was like, we're not having a bikers rally. Brother John, I was excited for it. I was getting my motorcycle vest on and I was going to be here and, and so forth. But no, it was 800 bicyclists. So we, uh, we got a good laugh about that. But uh, Kathy's mom would sometimes call a couple of times a day because she uh, maybe forgot to tell Kathy something the first time. And, you know, me being a, the husband that I am, I'd, I'd love to tease Kathy. I'd holler down the phone because Marilyn had her own ringtone. Some of you have, a, you know, a certain ringtone for a certain family member. And I'd, I'd yell to Kathy, it's your mom again, because we knew grandma's ringtone. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I miss that ringtone. I, I, I do. I miss that. So, uh, this is a time of reflection, and reflection is beneficial on many, many levels. It's a way to grieve. It's a way to heal. And as we'll see this morning, it's also a time to learn and instruct and grow in your faith, both for us 
personally, for our families, but also corporately as the body of Christ when we take time to remember and take time to reflect. As we look at our text this morning, we get a glimpse, I believe, into the heart of God and the importance of relationships to him. I believe we see the heart of a father desirous of teaching his children to walk with him. Now, some may disagree with me this morning. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I believe there is a reason that Joshua says, fathers, tell your children. Fathers, teach your children. He doesn't say moms. He doesn't say priests or pastors or prophets. But he says fathers. You see, I believe fathers bear a very special burden ensuring that the biblical truths are passed on to your children. Now, it doesn't mean moms are are completely off the hook. But it does mean that God is calling fathers to lead their families into truths, into the truths of God's word. The word of God makes it clear that fathers are to take a very active role in the spiritual growth of their families. We are called to lead. The Bible says we are the spiritual head of the family. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19, we read these words. You shall teach to your sons. Now, it doesn't exclude daughters there as well. But uh, but you shall teach to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Ted Rowe translation there is take every opportunity you have to talk to your family about God. In the mornings, in the evenings, while you're having lunch, while you're in the car. I've discovered, especially with teenage drivers, boy, the car and being in the car, those are some of the best conversations to have with your kids. One is they don't really have to have eye contact with you. They can kind of just look down the road and maybe maybe share something. But um, those are wonderful times. Take full advantage of them, fathers, with your children. Joel chapter 1 verse 3, I don't remember uh, reading this before, um, but in Joel chapter 1 verse 3 it says, Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons, and their sons to the next generation. So here you have this idea of, of remembering and constantly sharing over and over with your children so that the word of the Lord endures from one generation to the next generation. Shortly after Kathy and I were married, I was reading, ironically, in the book of Joshua. And I felt impressed to keep a journal. So Kathy and I, we went to the store and we got this journal and I sat down. And my desire was to track the things that I felt like God was speaking to us as a family. You see, I had the foresight 20 years ago to know that I'm not going to live forever. Someday I'm going to cross over on the Jordan. And as I was reading through the book of Joshua and I saw them that they set down the stones, I began to think about my own life and I thought, you know what? I have the desire of a father, the heart of a father who desires that his children know how God has moved and blessed in our family. So Kathy and I set about for the last 25 years of keeping a journal. 
And we write down the things that are important to us in the way that we feel like God has moved in our families. Now, we don't write down everything, but we write down those things that we think are key. And I, as I thought about this, I went and I grabbed the journal and I wrote here, oh, excuse me. Obviously, I have a little bit more word stuff in here than just words, don't I? <laughs> Uh, but I wrote in here, I said, uh, what follows in this book and the Lord willing many more to come is an account of the blessings of God upon our life. Joshua commanded the Israelites to put up stones of remembrance as a witness to glorify God. We too, meaning Kathy and me, want to pass along a gift to our children and our children's children by recording in this book all the ways God has blessed us. And so we just sat down. And on January 1st, maybe we'll remember something that we, uh, we need to add to the book or whatever. But our desire is that someday our children, when mom and dad aren't here anymore, our children are going to have this book and our grandchildren are going to have this book. And the goal is they're going to see that Grandma and Grandpa, that mom and dad, walked with God. And here's some things that they went through, some things that they struggled with. And here's some ways that God has blessed them. These are our stones of remembrance. And it's both for me and Kathy as well, so that we remember, but mostly for our children and for our children's children. I told Kathy, and I was reminded of it at Marilyn's funeral, in my personal opinion, the worst thing that I can do for my children, I apologize for my voice, we've been sick in my house, the worst thing that I can do for my children is to have them on the day that I pass away and going through the sermon or funeral and all that stuff is to wonder, did God, did dad make it? I want to live my life in such a way that there is no doubt in their mind that I knew God and I loved God and I lived for God and I felt like this journal is a good way to do that. So we are leaving this to our children and to our children's children. And this is exactly what God instructed Joshua to do with the 12 stones. Take the stones from the midst of the river, pile them up, and when your children ask, Tell them this story. Tell them how we passed over on dry ground. So our, our first point this morning here is that these stones are a marker for when God moved. This was a special place for the children of Israel. A special time and a place where something unique has happened. To some people, it may just look like a pile of rocks. To other people, it might be an obstruction or something that needs to be removed. But for those who experienced it, for those who walked across on the dry ground at the height of flood season, for those people, it was a moment of transformation. They saw God work. And they can point to that day and that time that God moved on their behalf. There are times and there are moments in our lives where we too can point and say that God moved. We will, we will have those moments individually, but we should have them uh, corporately as a church body as well. 
And we had some of those the last couple of years. Amen? I specifically, and Pastor mentioned it this morning, I said he preached my sermon for me. I specifically remember the donor stepping forward and giving, not once, not twice, but I think on four separate occasions, a sum of money that is right at or even in excess of a million dollars. That's a pretty big stone. Amen? Oh, thank you. Bless you. Um, That's a big stone. And we were there. We saw God move. We watched him him roll the the water of of that massive debt away from us. And we we set a stone. Now, Pastor mentioned, and, and if you did it, I apologize. I missed it. I may have been out sick or we may have been traveling. But Pastor mentioned having a special occasion, setting up a memorial, doing something to mark that time and that event and if we've done that great I apologize I missed it if we haven't done it I hope hope that we do do it because it's a monumental time in the history in the life of our church where we saw God move in a special way and we all experienced it together that joy that excitement that lifting of a burden so that now we can focus on ministry instead of debt and we were no longer shackled but we were set free and so we have that marker we have that stone now may I ask you a question about that did you tell anybody did you tell anybody what had happened boy I know I did I had called my parents I talked to my mom and dad you're not ever going to believe this you know, I told other Christian brothers and, and people that I worked with uh, about it because I'd never seen God move in that way before. I'd never experienced a check that big <laughs> before. So for me, it was amazing. And I told everybody about it. Um, those of you that uh, have been attending our Thursday night prayer meeting. We had a lovely experience. It wasn't lovely at the time. We're looking back now, a couple of years back. But we had the experience of walking through a Jordan crossing experience with Benita when she found out that her daughter, Emily, had a tumor. And that was a tough time. And that was a rough road. And if Benita was in here this morning, she would tell you that she saw God work. She saw God move. And we saw God move not only in Emily's life, but we saw God move and work in Benita's life. And I will tell you, and I can testify, that Benita is different today. Having gone through that, that, that crossing, that Jordan experience, having gone through that, then before that. And she'll tell you, because she's, she's told me that before as well. So we have those experiences, not only individually, but we have them corporately. And they are markers in time, markers in history that we can go back and we say, at that time, this is what God has done. And we tell them, as Joshua said, tell them to your children. Tell them to their children's children. And by telling them over and over again, you are solidifying your own faith. You are strengthening your own faith, but you are also strengthening the faith of your children and your children's children. And we need to be doing that individually, but we also need to do it corporately as the body of Christ. Perhaps you've experienced something similar on a personal level. 
God's moved. He's helped you with a battle. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's um, something financially, whatever it might be. Those are markers. Those who are believers, you have a moment like that. Every one of us is the day that you became a Christian. Amen? There's a point in time where you were once dead, but now you are alive. You were walking in darkness, but now you have seen a great light. There is a point in time where you crossed over from death to life, and that is a marker. That is your testimony, and you share that with your children and your children's children. Our second point this morning, these stones are not only markers, but they're also for remembering how God moved. Not just that he did move, but remembering how he actually moved. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 11 we read, we don't remember what happened in those former times and in future generations. No one remember, no one will remember what we are doing now. God wanted Joshua to have a reference so his children and his children's children would know how God moved. You see, time marches on. And unless you take time to remember how God moved and share that with others, it will soon be forgotten. Much of the Bible falls under a category we call historical. You have the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You have the book of Judges where they're retelling the history prior to the king. You have the book of Kings and you're listing out. And it's just telling you Israel's history. History is important to the Lord. He wants us to know how he brought his children from the fall in the garden to that point of salvation in his son Jesus Christ. He wants us to see that historical account of his people so that we will remember. Because time marches on. And if we don't pause to remember, then we soon forget. We know how God moved in the life of the children of Israel how he preserved them for years and years, and even to this day, his hand is still upon them. We have this history in written form, but also in the oral form. And God did it so that we remember. And he tells us over and over, go and read in the book of Psalms, go and read through the prophets. God numerously reminds his people in a variety of different ways. Hey, who brought you out of Egypt? <laughs> hey, who preserved you while you were in the wilderness? Hey, who helped you cross over the Jordan? Who did this? Who fed you in those times of famine? Who brought judgment upon you? Who brought discipline upon you? Because I love you and I want you to serve me. And God tells us over and over and over again how he did that for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, we read, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. God wants us to remember and God wants us to share. There's great benefit in remembering how God has moved or acted on behalf of his people. 
The point for us is that God wants us to know that he is a God who does not change. And just as God has acted in the past, so God can act in the present and in the future. We live in a crazy world right now. Amen. We can say hallelujah to that for sure. It is messed up out there. But God is faithful. And we can look to the past to give us comfort today. And we all know that, read the book of Revelations, this old earth is going to unravel. Things are going to get a whole lot worse. But guess what? God is there. And just as he was there in the past, he will be there in the future. And we do not need to fear. It's what he said to Joshua when he crossed over in the Jordan River. Joshua, do not fear. I am with you. And it's that remembering how God was with us back then, whether we're reading in the Old Testament or whether you've recorded it for yourself in your own personal life, when you remember how God was with you then, you know he will be with you in the future. He said in his word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No one can pluck you from my hand. And we get comfort and we get strength in that. Not only for us individually, but we can comfort and strengthen our children with that and our children's children with that. It is beneficial. It increases our courage and it increases our faith because God is there in the future just like he was in the past. Our third point this morning these stones are for glorifying God. Not only are there markers, not only do we remember them, but ultimately these stones have been piled there for the sole purpose of glorifying God. The end of verse 24 tells us this. It says, so that the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord God forever. God has a plan. God has a purpose for telling us to, to pinpoint these times and to remember these times and to share these times. And that purpose ultimately is so that he shall be glorified. Joshua reminds us that this purpose is not simply to have cool stories to tell. I think it's always funny with, I don't know, maybe you girls don't, uh, don't do this like us guys do, but you get a group of guys together and guys love to tell stories. But the funny thing about guys is when we tell stories, the next guy that tells a story, his story has to be a little bit better than the other guys. You know, a little braver, a little more, a little more just funnier or whatever. And it's just you're always just guys or just guys. We're competitive by nature. We usually are trying to one-up somebody. Oh, yeah, you think that's funny? Well, well, I've got a story for you. And that's just the funny, funny thing about guys. But God doesn't give us this, this, this Bible, this book, these stories. He doesn't tell us these things just because they're cool stories. And it's a pretty cool story. I mean, you step out into a river at flood stage and the water begins to recede. It's a pretty amazing story. But it's not just given to us to, 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 so that we'd have a cool story to tell. Joshua explains that the purpose of our setting these markers and telling them to our children, as I said, is to glorify God. And by sharing these stories, both individually and corporately, we exalt and we glorify God to one another. However, if we just stop reading at verse, the end of verse 4, we kind of miss the picture. 
to get the full picture of the fact that God has done this to bring glory to himself, we have to read the first verse in chapter 5. And it reads, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Amen. God had a purpose. God had a plan. Not only was that purpose in his plan for his own people to strengthen, to encourage them, but it was also to melt the hearts of the other pagan kings that they were going in to conquer. The point of this is that you may be going through something difficult in your life. And yes, you need to know and you need to remember that God is there. God is with you. God is never leaving you or forsaking you. But you also need to keep in mind that you may be going through what you're doing because there's someone else that needs to see how God is working in your heart and your life. And your walk with God, the trial that you're going through, will be transformational not only in your life, but in their life as well. And they will learn to see God. They will learn to trust God, not because of something they're going through themselves, but because of something you're going through. They'll see how God brought the Jordan down for you. They'll see that God moved and you walked over on solid ground. And the sole purpose is that they might find the truth that they might see the light, that they might come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And all of this is for the sole purpose of glorifying God. It's not just so we have fun stories to tell, but it's so that God ultimately, in everything that we do, is glorified. And the same is true in the church. As believers, we are called to share how God has moved and worked in our lives so that the people in fellowship with us can be encouraged, so that they can be strengthened, as well as the people in the world, the people in Hancock County, the 30-some thousand that are unchurched. When they see God moving and working in your life, their hearts are changed. Their hearts are transformed. Their hearts are melted and they have hope. And they may just say, man, if God's doing that for them, he may just do it for me. Others will learn to trust God when we share how God has moved in our own lives. When we testify to how God has saved us or he's rescued us or he's moved on our behalf, then others will be in the trust of the Lord as well. When we see God move in our own, when they see God move in our life, then they will trust him to move in theirs. Now, I remember as a young believer in church, people would do the strangest things a few years ago. They would stand up, pastor, they would stand up and testify, they called it, to what God had been doing in their life. Anybody ever attend a church that had a testimony Sunday or it may be right in the middle of a sermon. Somebody just stand up. I got to tell you what, what God has been doing in my life. They used to testify. And as a young man, I mean, in my early 20s, a new believer, I wasn't 
raised in a, in a Christian home and so forth. But as a, as a young believer, I drew, I drew strength from that. I'd like, wow, some of, these, some of the things that God was moving and the way he was working in people's lives, it encouraged me, it strengthened me. Um, I don't know, we got, kind of got away from that nowadays. Um, but be willing to share, give your testimony of what God has done, is doing, or what you're trusting him to be doing in your life so that others are strengthened and so that God ultimately is glorified. By sharing, we are glorifying God and demonstrating to this earth that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And my prayer is that we all, every one of us, will learn how to better glorify God corporately. Don't be afraid of your testimony. And can I just share, if you're here this morning and you found the Lord at a young age and maybe you didn't have a life of carousing and boozing and drinking and you're tempted to say to yourself, well, I don't really have a very good testimony. Can I share you've got the best testimony of all? That your God has been powerful enough and your walk with your God has been close enough that he has kept you and he has preserved you from all of that. Please don't ever think that you have to go so far and deep in the muck and the mire and the filth of this world before you can get saved so that you can have a testimony. I'd way rather have your testimony. Than, than my own testimony or, or maybe some that somebody else might have because your God was strong enough to keep you from all of that filth and all of that sin and you don't have that emotional baggage, that physical baggage, all those things that you still have to carry around with you. You're saved now, but there's still consequences to those sins. So please do not ever downplay your testimony. Just share it with the world. Tell the world how much you love the Lord and what God has done for you. Our application point this morning, you know, I only had seven pages. I don't know why I always go so long. I apologize. My application point this morning is the act of placing markers must be intentional. It must be intentional. This does not happen on its own. It takes intentionality. Now, I'm a blessed man. I had good parents who taught me good morals not that I always listened, of course, but they taught me nonetheless. However, I want to share something in closing that I shared with Kathy this past week. I don't know that I'd ever thought about it before. But Kathy and I were talking, and as I said, remembering some special things recently that had went on in our life. And something just clicked with me. And you may chuckle when I tell you this, but this is what clicked. God loves me. It just clicked. God loves me. And part of his love for me is that he wants me to grow and get deeper in my relationship with him. And here's how God did that. Now, when I married Kathy, I got way more than I bargained for. <laughs> uh, not only did I get a smart and a beautiful wife, but I also got the bonus of gaining in-laws that have taught me how to go deeper with God. You see, God loved me so much that he gave me a second set of parents 
that could teach me more about God than my own biological parents could. Not because my biological parents didn't want to. They just they weren't Christians at the time. And then they did become Christians, but they were new Christians. Whereas Stan and Marilyn had walked with God for a number of years. So Stan and Marilyn were able to teach me things about God that my own parents couldn't. And so I did, just dawned on me that God loved me so much that he gave me a second set of parents that could help grow my relationship with the Lord. Prayer was not modeled in my home growing up. The only time the Lord's name was used was in vain. I never saw my parents doing personal devotions. Financially supporting the church wasn't even talked about in my home growing up. However, by marrying Kathy, I got to experience what this looked like in Stan and Marilyn's life. Together, I had to stop, uh, therefore, I had to stop and thank God for his tremendous love towards me and allowing me to learn this through my wife's parents. However, this process was intentional. Now, I know I'm bragging on my father-in-law just a little bit here this morning, but hopefully he's not embarrassed. But I know Stan well enough, he will give all the glory to the Lord for sure. But this pouring into me was intentional. They both would say from time to time, hey, Gary, here's a good book. You need to read it. And I've got dozens of books on my, and not just me, but all the, all the in-laws. Jason's here this morning as well, and they did the same thing for him. Um, I'd like to tell you I was special and it was just me, but that, that wouldn't be true. But they would say, here's a good book for you to read, and then I would, would read it. Stan has for decades now um, been sending out a family devotional. Not only, uh, and basically it'll be something that he read in his own personal devotions and we'll get, not every day, maybe once a week, maybe two or three times a week, we'll get an email that says, this is what God has been speaking to me or this is uh, what this passage meant to me. Those of you that know Stan know a lot of these devotionals come from a guy named Andrew Murray. Stan really loves Andrew Murray. But he's pouring into his family intentionally, not by accident. He's purposely doing it. Even before my marriage to Kathy, Stan would say, hey, I need to go here. You want to jump in the car and go along? He would share with me stories and insights of how God was and had been working in his life, but also in the life of his family. Now, I'm sure he was trying to confirm whether I was a good catch for his daughter or not. But nonetheless, he was pouring into me. And then one day, I heard myself sharing words with a total stranger that Stan had shared to me. I was repeating those same truths, those same words to other people, and it dawned on me right then I had been indoctrinated. He had poured into me enough that now I was using his words and pouring into other people. Then after marrying Kathy, he continued this effort of intentionally pouring into us and his other in-laws. He took us to Oklahoma City to a Christian men's conference, and this conference was specifically about how to be a godly husband and a godly leader and what it means for fathers to teach your kids. But not only that, but it purposely taught us how, as a father, we cast a vision for our own family. 
He took time and the energy and the effort to drive us clear out to Oklahoma City. Back in 99, I think I may be off by my year or so, he took me to a Promise Keepers event down in Indianapolis. He's taken me and Jason and some others to a family integrated church conference in North Carolina. He spent a lot of time investing in me, and it was all intentional. As fathers, we must be intentional when we pour into our children. However, as a church, we must be intentional when it comes to pouring into one another as well. We cannot afford to be complacent when it comes to spiritual matters. We must be intentional. We must pray intentionally. We must serve intentionally. And we must be intentional at casting our vision for our community. All for the expressed purpose of glorifying God.